the relationship between athletes and cannabis has long been decried for its perceived negative association. Thankfully, that misconception is being reshaped as athletes are now experiencing a certain form of liberation, one which has inspired them to move from the shadows and serve as advocates for the medicine that they deem so vital. These stories are worthy of greater attention and will serve to help augment the discourse around medicinal cannabis. The cannabis culture and sport deserves to be celebrated, not maligned. And these conversations will move us in that direction. Welcome to Winning with Cannabis with your host, Bill Bronner. This is your host, Bill Bronner, with Winning with Cannabis. I'm excited to um, participate in a conversation with uh, with an individual whose career path I find quite fascinating and interestingly somewhat mirrors um, aspects of mine and is a yoga enthusiast, uh, teacher. In fact, um, her world has encompassed um, a lot and we'll get into it. So without further ado, let me introduce... Um, Martha Trianta Filidis to the show. How are you, Martha? That was very well said. Thank you, Bill. And I'm excited to be here with you. Yes, indeed. So to, to get things off, I wanted to, and I found this quite notable, um, your kind of circuitous path uh, through life, as, as mentioned in the outset, it aligns somewhat well uh, with mine and that I was kind of a quote unquote wandering soul I know you've um, have you know described yourself at times as a nomad, and I suspect that that, uh, that particular ingredient is still very much alive and well within you. Tell me a little bit about how that path got kind of charted for you. Uh, I know you were originally um, born in Greece, and uh, if you can, kind of give me a snapshot of um, you know your kind of journey, uh, you know, through kind of adolescence and into kind of the more formative years and kind of professional career path that you're on now. Sure. Um, so yeah, I do, I do still think of myself as a nomad. I don't, um, well, if anything, uh, the, the only place that I consider home is at this little tiny island in Greece where we now spend about five months a year. But um, since I was a kid, I was introduced to trauma pretty early. I lost my father when I was eight, so that really influenced my life and was sent off to boarding school in England. So I was educated away from home and away from my mother as well. So it, I felt very much disconnected from my family. And um, so from school and college, I, I was always very artistic as a child. I loved architecture, but I was not um, very academic. And I think that might have done might have had something to do with the trauma I experienced as a child because up until that point I was an A student and then I was just kind of lost in school completely. And so even though I wanted to, you know, I was fascinated by architecture and seven years of um, university for that at the time in the UK was totally out of my league. And I ended up studying interior design, which I still love to this day. Um, because of my relationship with my family and having been kind of separated from them, um, my path took me anywhere but back home. And I ended up marrying at a very young age, uh, moved to the Middle East when the Middle East was still pretty much desert, nothing like you, you know, you see Dubai now and it's like a huge Las Vegas or a huge Disney World. In those days, it was just desert everywhere with one tall building. 
So I spent a lot of my formative years, my um, early 20s, in Dubai, which I loved. What was the what, what was the impetus for pointing your compass in that direction? Oh, I love that. It seems like, a, especially at that time, a, a somewhat of a courageous act to move into an area which obviously now uh, resembles um, pretty strong hints of westernization back then. As you said, it was radically different and didn't have kind of the, the kind of Western flavor that uh, you know, Dubai and Doha and other major cities in that area now kind of represent. It was um, when I was in college, I met my first husband. He was the brother of one of my, um, uh, you know, uh, another student that was in, in my class when we were studying interior design. And um, I moved for him, basically. And I remember actually when he told me, well, come visit me in Dubai. I was like, where is that? I didn't even know on the map where Dubai was in those days. And it was interesting because when I arrived there, there are two things that I remember vividly. And this was in 82, if I'm not mistaken. Two things that I remember vividly is when the door of the plane opened, the humidity that came in that door was like so shocking. I had never experienced that before. And then we came down the stairs because they didn't have terminals or anything like that in those days, came down the stairs of the plane. And it's the first time I think I ever came out of a plane and I was met with, um, I don't know whether they were policemen or army, but with machine guns. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and I was 19 years old. And I was like, oh my God, where did I just, you know, what have I put myself into? And yet it was some, those years were some of the most beautiful years of my life, although they were hard in many ways, they were also brilliantly fun and free. And I imagine, uh, it seems like quite a defining period, Martha, I can't help but think that things kind of culminated with, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is quite a historic achievement by you, uh, founding the first contemporary art gallery in Dubai that um, had a, without question, be kind of a, a turning point um, for you know so many different worlds, especially the art world. It, it was, yeah, it was, um, and it didn't last very long, so no credit there. I mean, I've always been um, on the modern side, and I love the combination of antiques with modern. Um, in those days where the majority of people living in Dubai were either locals with very few foreigners or, of course, the, um, the, foreign, the Indian um, culture, which was there as workers mostly. Um, so it was very challenging from the aspect that the Arabic style has always been very ornate and gold and carved and and my gallery had nothing like that and it was completely different. So I had a very small um, audience I was um, catering to, the younger generation mostly of shakes because the, um, the, the stuff we had in the gallery were like one of a piece's kind of furniture and art. And of course there were some pieces that were, you know, I wouldn't say mass production, but uh, more than one piece. But um, so the challenge there was that these, and I don't know how familiar you are with the Arab world, but especially in those days, um, people would come in and they'd buy cars or houses, and I'm talking about the locals, right? The, the elite society of the locals would come in and buy cars or houses or stuff for their houses and walk away. And then you would just send the bill to their office. And it, sometimes it could take two or three years before you got paid. 
So um, we only lasted, I think, for three, three and a half years. Um, it was lovely for me because <laughs> it got me traveling around the world, picking the pieces that I wanted to have in the gallery. And I always thought, well, you know, if this doesn't sell, I'll take it to my house, which my house was filled with, with beautiful artifacts. But business-wise, it was not. And I have to say, I'm not really business-oriented. So I didn't find a path to move forward with that that was successful. And so from, from that point, that's a fascinating experience. So thanks for sharing. You, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, you know, your, your, your journey was kind of just still in the kind of mid stages of life and you still made a point of kind of leapfrogging around until you ultimately kind of established yourself in Colorado. You lived in Canada for a while, um, other parts of the United States, Europe, I believe, but ultimately elected to gravitate to Colorado for, I'm sure, all the right reasons. But what uh, what were some of the kind of the, the major factors that determined that part of your journey for you? Um, interestingly enough, because I had lived away from Greece for so many years and I went back to Greece, um, I think it was 16 or 17 years ago after having lived overseas for most of my life. And I thought, okay, I'm back home. This is where I'm going to stay now. I don't want to move again. I didn't even know at that point of my life because of everything that I had been through, if I even wanted to travel anymore, which of course I got over really quick and I still love to travel. Um, and then of course um, I met my now husband who I had known since we were kids cause he's Greek American as well. And um I moved for him. So it wasn't a conscious decision of moving back to the States, quite the opposite. I never wanted to move back to the States again. Thanks for sharing that, uh, that part of the personal narrative with us. We have to cut to a quick commercial break and we will move on to kind of the next chapter of your life, Martha, when we get back. Our advertisers are winners. Please check them out during this brief timeout. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at shoogies.com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take anywhere treat. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Plant Profits. I'm Vern Davis, and I'd like to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. We call them the Plant Profits. 
Each week on Plant Profits, we talk to the people at the forefront of the industry, creating real companies and career opportunities. We'll learn from the people leading the charge into the promised land of profit. Plant Profits is powered by Protus Global, people solutions firm that has been building companies, changing lives since 1995. P-R-O-T-I-S global.com, Protus Global. Find Plant Profits now at CannabisRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back on the field of play with more Winning with Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. Martha, you've been situated in in Colorado for how long? Ten years now. Ten years. Um, Certainly long enough to have borne witness to the transformation that's occurred in that state and so many other um, similarly minded states in terms of the warm embrace of cannabis and uh, how the proverbial floodgates opened and forever changed the landscape of Colorado in particular, uh, economically, societally, culturally, what have you. Um, I know that um, the kind of cannabis lifestyle is something that you have uh, come to to really kind of personify. And uh, more importantly than that, yoga has been a wonderful avenue for you. Um, I'm sure it's helped to, um, you know, kind of bring that uh, kind of inner spiritual bell and and uh, apply itself to so many other parts of your life. What what brought you into yoga? And if you can, if you can uh, just highlight what your introduction was to cannabis. I'm not sure if you had good familiarity with and were an enthusiast um, earlier uh, as, a, as a traveler or if it really kind of elevated now that you had an opportunity to use it in a, a more legal setting in Colorado. Uh, yeah, it definitely changed in the legal setting. So um, what brought me into yoga, my first husband, my daughter's father passed away and um, it was, um, I think the biggest shock to me was, you know, when I, when my father died, I was a child, roughly my daughter's age. And his, my husband's death brought up what I had never dealt with emotionally as a child and as a young adult. So it was a double whammy. It completely shocked me. Not only did it shock me and brought up my father's death, but it also incredibly worried me about how my daughter was going to get through this trauma. And... Um, at that time, I, I had tasted cannabis, uh, you know, illegally as a teenager um, because it was, you know, other than Amsterdam, it was nowhere legal in Europe when I was in school. And we just kind of played around with it on weekends, a um, bunch of friends and stuff. But at that point of my life, when my husband died, it was more of a numbing um, go-to for me. Um, not good by no means. It doesn't really help to numb yourself, at least not on the long term. Um, and it was, I have to say that I've always been pretty much in control. And um, I knew that I was doing it to be numb and not to feel because life was just super difficult at that time. And then all of a sudden becoming a single mom as well was even harder. Um, and I had given myself a period, okay, I can feel miserable, I can, you know, 
numb myself for this period of time, but I need to get a grip and get my life together because my child is young and I need to be a mother. So um, I would never suggest to anybody to use it that way. Although I know a lot of us just like alcohol or anything that just kind of makes us feel numb at some point in our life, it may be necessary, but um, moving to Colorado and this is years later, of course, because this was many, many years when my first husband died, moving to Colorado and hearing that cannabis was going to become uh, legal. I hadn't smoked or, I mean, at that time when you first came out, I don't think there were any edibles. I can't really remember if we started with edibles or not, but I hadn't really smoked in a long time because smoking just does not really agree with me well with my lungs. It just makes my lungs hurt. I mean, I can take a couple of puffs here and there, but if I do it on a regular basis, it bothers me. So it had been quite a few years that I hadn't touched it. And then when it became legal, more out of curiosity than anything else, I started again and then became familiar with edibles and those worked really well and then as edibles got better and especially with Juana that um, I have tried all their products now you can really I mean when we were teenagers it was touch and go sometimes you could get a really strong bag of pot other day other times you would get something that you wouldn't feel anything some was good some was not with with one i know exactly what i'm taking what i'm ingesting at any time and um it has become a pretty regular thing both in my relaxing um or hiking or adventuring life or in my practice well that's great i'm, I'm glad that uh, you have that terrific outlet and <clears throat> i'm excited to learn that you have you know kind of assumed the role as a, an ambassador for the Wana brand, um, it's terrific. I'm uh, intimately familiar with it and they are easily one of the more prominent cannabis-based companies within the industry and are held in uh, in really high regard. I'm curious, how, how did that endorsement or, or sponsorship rather come about? I'm sure they kind of sought you out being the kind of yoga practitioner that you are. Um, yeah, if you can just briefly describe how that relationship came about. Um. The marketing manager, before she became marketing manager for Juana, um, so she would come to my classes every day and she started yoga with me and loved it. And I love when people, when, when I have a student that has never done yoga before and I introduce them to it, it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the practice, but it's very gratifying as a teacher to see somebody really fall into it and love the practice and see the changes in them. So she practiced with me for a couple of years and then she stopped practicing with me because she got a job with Juana. And then I was in Greece actually when I got an email from her and she asked me if I wanted to be an ambassador. And I, I had to think about it a little bit because in Europe it's still not as free as it is in Colorado and my life is between the two. And then I realized, well, you know, I really don't care. I mean, I didn't care when it was illegal. Why would I care now? So I was thrilled that they had asked me and um, I already knew the Wana product because this was the one that I was favoring even before. So I was very happy to uh, partner with them. It's terrific. It sounds like a, a, a really good kind of cross-section of interests. Uh, you mentioned Greece and, and forgive my ignorance here. I've been there before and I have a great deal of affection for the country. Um, stunning place to, to go and visit. What is the uh, again, it's kind of a more sweeping generalization from your end, but what, what are the perceptions surrounding cannabis? I know it still is 
demonized, but have policies been more relaxed in recent years or are things still as rigid as ever? Um, is, is there some growing acceptance around uh, the plant or is it still uh, a very contentious topic? Um, I think it's changing everywhere in the world. And, and my experience when I was a teenager was in England, was not in Greece because I hadn't lived in Greece from the age of um, 13. I've been living overseas. But um, yeah, it's because, I mean, first of all, they, they've introduced CBD and that's freely available. And I, I think it's not going to be long before THC is free. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that everybody does it. Um, you know, within a friend circle, you freely talk about it. You don't particularly want it going outside your circle because in brackets, it's illegal, but it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it so, so it sounds, sounds like, I'm sorry to interrupt you. It sounds like the, um, I should say that the legal ramifications of it are fairly insignificant and there's no real serious kind of um, sense of fear. You know, young people are using it to recreate um, it's, you, I'm sure ubiquitous in, you know, certain lifestyles. So maybe the fear is kind of absent, but it's just a type of thing that you need to be, you know, smart about your casual use. Is that a yeah, fair assessment? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go out in public and just light a joint or, and I wouldn't, you know, be talking around it publicly unless it was a close circle of friends. Mm -hmm. um, to, to kind of pivot back to your work uh, with Juana, I know you had the ability to, participate in, in a pretty cutting edge uh, research exercise, I believe it was last year, with um, Dr. Angela Bryan, who's a professor at NCU's uh, Department of Psychology and Neuroscience. Um, if if I, my memory is correct, the kind of central uh, kind of thesis of this study was to explore the possible link between cannabis use and exercise behaviors. Um, and you were one of the athletes among many um, in various states that participated. What was that experience like? And what were some of the significant outcomes of that research? Um, if I am correct, uh, and don't quote me on this, but that study was done before I, I became ambassador for WANA. And it's interesting how the events unfolded and then I was all of a sudden representing WANA. Um, it was, that study was about how um, cannabis affects you. Um, if you're able to function, um, if you're able to think, they were testing reflexes, they were testing your answers in certain, um, like, a, um, oh God, I'm blocking here. What's, um, like when they give you four different answers that you pick from, what do you call that? Mm -hmm. Multiple choice. Multiple choice, thank you, yes. Um, so, and, and it was over a period of a year where you would meet um, I think once every month or once every couple of weeks or something, and you would take the test before uh, the use of cannabis, and then you would go away for an hour, take the cannabis and come back and redo it to see how your body was behaving. Um, I don't have that report. I don't know what they came out with. I, I can I can illustrate uh, a couple of the, the key findings real quick. I know over 600 adult marijuana users were surveyed and participate in this study, and I'd probably say that this central outcome was uh, as follows. Uh, eight of the 10 marijuana users in states where cannabis is legal say they partake in the drug shortly before or after exercise, and most report that it motivates them to work out, helps them enjoy exercise more, and improves their recovery. So it's uh, you know exciting 
exciting research in a landscape where there's a paucity thereof. Um, that's for obvious reasons. Primarily, its designation as a controlled substance schedule one classification and hopefully in time that will be removed and we'll be able to widen the, the body of research and level the playing field, so to speak. But it's always great when, you know, these types of kind of anecdotal uh, sorts of efforts um, bear fruit and, um, you know, have the ability to, to educate people. Well, for me personally, it pretty much enhances everything. I mean, if I'm outdoors, I enjoy, and I love being outdoors our, our whole life, both my husband and I, my husband is an environmental lawyer, so we both really enjoy being in nature. Um, it makes the experience much, much nicer, um, especially if we're going for long hikes and I take sativa, which I love for an outdoor and adventurous life. It just um, keeps me going. Um, CBD with low THC will make me sleep really well at night. It, any, whether it's indica or even sativa or the mix will help me relax if I'm feeling any sort of stress or anxiety, which can come both from the times that we're living in right now, or also I'm at that age where hormonal changes can create anxiety without even you knowing why. And I find that the one-to-one um, -one CBD THCs have really been a wonderful tool to use through this strange period of my life. But I've always, I mean, I, you know, I started smoking when I was a teen on and off and um, I've always enjoyed it. I, I've, I've never understood why alcohol was legal and cannabis was not. It's a farce. <laughs> yeah, That's for sure. Um, so we, we have to pivot to a quick commercial break and then we'll pick up where we left off here uh, momentarily. Our advertisers are winners. Please check them out during this brief timeout. The cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. The, the green, green Peak, peak. with Richard Zwicky. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Himping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint Business and cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Fortunate to have Michael Brewer of Brewer and Shipley. Your signature top 10 song, One Toke Over the Line. I've read a couple different versions of, of what the tune's origins are. What's the true story? We were playing a little club in Kansas City. A friend stopped by with some really good hash. We stepped out back and came back in. We're tuning up in the dressing room, and Tom said, Man, I'm really One Toke Over the Line. I just cracked up. I thought it was hysterical. We literally wrote that song just entertaining ourselves and to make our friends laugh. It's time to Hemp Resent, only on Cannabis Radio. 
We're back on the field of play with more Winning with Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. So, Martha, you were uh, describing your your use and then the freedoms um, that you have and how kind of wonderful it is to, to have that joint experience of exploring nature with your husband and um, the, you know, how uh, the incredible power of cannabis to accelerate and enhance those types of experiences in today's world where I think we're all a bit dispirited uh, due to the pandemic and kind of just the massive scope of issues that, that come with the pandemic. I have myself have found an increase in use to uh, just alleviate, um, you know, some of the, you know, the, the emotional and kind of psychological trauma when you just take into account all the human suffering across the globe. Sometimes it's a lot to digest. And um, for the purposes of transparency, I too am a practicing yogi. I miss my studio more so than most of, most anyone. Um, it uh, it's it's really unfortunate to be detached from that community. So I'm curious to know whether or not uh, there's been a, a kind of a similar increase on your end as you kind of interact with with what the, what's happening in the in the broader world and um, how your yoga community is is coping and um, you know what sort of uh, you know kind of daily practices you're carrying out and um, things like that. Um, yeah, everyone's been affected, right? This is definitely global. Um, there is no substitute for person in person or in a group of people. I'm also a very tactile person, very physical person. So for me to be with other people is very important. And I think the one thing most of us are missing terribly is that human touch, which I think can be so healing. You know, you see somebody that's not feeling well or is anxious and you give them a hug and, and that can really change the whole energy of that person. So that's something I think we're all missing right now. Um, I definitely miss teaching a class and having people there and practicing with them and walking around and talking to them and everything that comes with it. It's beautiful. You, you miss it yourself. You know what the energy of a studio brings. Um, we have been... You know, I mean, I never, ever thought I would teach online. And a lot of my students, when I leave here and spend five months in Greece, always ask me, well, why don't you record some classes? And so we miss you when you're gone. And I've all, you know, for years I've said, sure, I will do that. And I've never gotten around to it because being in front of a camera and practicing has just never done it for me. And yet, amazingly enough, surprisingly enough, I have really enjoyed the Zoom classes partly because it brings a little sense of community like my students will get together and we are all practicing at the same time which i think helps a lot especially if you're having a hard time getting onto your mat and then there's the you know two or three minutes of chit chat and connecting and saying hello to each other even if it's just through um, a video camera so um, there is a little sense of community, but of course, missing that physical part is huge. Um, it is, and, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I can totally relate to that. I, I've been disconnected from my mat. I've um, been sadly uninspired, and as a result, a bit, a bit rudderless. Uh, I've I've tried. I've done a couple of virtual classes with terrific teachers who I adore. Um, early on, you know, maybe in mid March, and then drifted away because I 
I uh, just wasn't as energized to do it. I, I can think of a whole host of different excuses. They're all pretty pathetic, but I just, I wasn't deriving the energy that I, some people just need, as you said, human contact. And I need that interaction, I think, to have a really good practice. I could go through the motions, I could get on the mat and I need to, you know, action speak louder than words. <laughs> I need to do it, but it, it is difficult. I agree. Yeah. It, and, you know, it's really important to honor that space as well. I mean, we are always taught to, um, you know, and, and social media has been so destructive, I think, in that way that you always bring out your best self. They tell you, you know, be nice, be pretty when you put a photo, you know, all this selfish, selfie uh, craziness. And we, we are condition to show a side of us that is really not sustainable. And one of the pleasures of Zoom is that we've all showed up with messy hair, with crappy feelings, with, you know, all that you're expressing that it just does not work. But somehow we draw each other in because we're there together. And I think that's the difference between a recorded class to where you're just following and trying to do and just knowing that everybody's struggling or not, you know, some people are not struggling at all. Some, and it also really depends if you're an introvert or extrovert, how you are handling this pandemic. But um, me being an introvert, it hasn't been so hard for me. And it has been an amazing pleasure to have my students show up. And I've been teaching day, I mean, for two months, more than two months, I taught every single day because that was my sanity. And I was happy that people were showing up because that would get me on my mat. And it stopped me from falling deep into a dark hole through this craziness. Um, and I am forever grateful to them for that. And this is why my, my classes are also an offering. I mean, donations are more than welcome. I haven't worked in a few months myself and I've had to cancel my retreats. But also, I, it's not about funds. I don't want anybody to stop doing yoga because funds are not available. So I've made them free for everybody. Well, that's very praiseworthy. I, for one, will be participating in an upcoming class. I can guarantee that, Martha. And for our listeners, please do the same. If you're a yoga enthusiast, I can't think of a better person um, that'd be more compatible to practice with than Martha. So how do people find out about Blue Island Yoga? If you can quickly, uh, before we wrap up, share that contact information. Um, my website is www.blueislandyoga.com. So all connected, obviously. I mean, there's no gaps, right, in the website. Um, I didn't answer your question about cannabis. Am I using it more? Maybe a little bit. And sorry, I didn't answer your question. Um, maybe a little bit, but pretty much. I mean, I cannabis is kind of a regular thing in my life. So, um, yeah, just find a way that you can enjoy it. <laughs> and um, I'm easy to find. Uh, you're more than welcome to join any of my classes. I will be traveling, hopefully, um, 1st of June. I was supposed to travel in May, but those flights were canceled. Hopefully, 1st of June, we will be able to go back to Sifnos. So if I can sort out a way to um, figure out my internet, I will be doing live classes from there, hopefully from the beach. So I don't know if that's good or bad. Does it make people feel worse or feel better? But um, hopefully from outdoors. That sounds very uplifting. Thanks for sharing, Martha. And really appreciate you uh, being such an open book and uh, 
you know, taking us on that, that journey of, uh, of your life. So I really enjoyed it. I'm sure our listeners did too. Thanks so much for participating, Martha. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you for thinking of me, Bill. And um, hope you stay safe through all this craziness, both of you and Ricky and whoever else is um, in your team. Thanks, Martha. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.